0: We'll go to Mark chapter 14, verse 34. We read there in Mark 14, 34. And Jesus said unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little, And fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. This passage, as we enter this section of the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves in what you might think of in some ways as the holy of holies of the Bible. When we near the cross and Jesus as he's, um, you know, at this moment in his life and ministry, um, it's sobering and it's quite a, a moment. If you know Christianity and you know what the Bible teaches about what Jesus's purpose and plan was, you realize this is a huge moment in the world's history. And we're gonna dive into more of the primary purpose of what, what everything Jesus talking about, I think on Wednesday night we're going to look at the primary purpose, but there's a little bit of a secondary purpose that I'd like to raise today that oftentimes you may not think about in context of this particular passage. So I'm going to talk about this in a little different light, um, and then we'll look at it more in its primary uh, purpose on on Wednesday. But um, and, and we're going to kind of dive into this question that people tend to debate today and it's become kind of a mean-spirited debate, and I think sometimes we as Christians um, um, do a, a good job misrepresenting the heart of the Lord, even though um, uh, the Lord gives us very clear directives in his word. And so that's kind of one of the things we wanna talk about, and, and we're gonna basically focus in on this question. Is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Um, <laughs> well I see i don't even have to say you guys are all dismissed uh, no I just yeah. yeah yeah no it's it's uh it's interesting because um you know the answer is no um, you could keep the all six hundred and thirteen laws remember I talked about that before if you kept all the six hundred and thirteen laws of the Jewish law of the Old Testament, then you could go to heaven uh, according to the Bible, but we know that that's actually impossible, so yeah you're right're you're, you're technically right, aren't we um but you know, a lot of people like to today kind of consider Jesus a way. And I'd like to, uh, for those of you that are maybe Christians, I'd like to perhaps talk about how we deal with this question and, and how we approach it um, perhaps and, and, and not just to hammer away at, at people uh, that don't understand that Jesus is in fact the only way, um, not just a way. And for some people, those are fighting words. But I think we have to be careful on this one. I think we should stand with the truth, but at the same time to be um, uh, compassionate. And um, if you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to heaven but by him, John fourteen six, six, as Jesus claimed. Um, we also have to remember, is it compassionate to let people think that there are many ways to heaven? If there is only one way, is it compassionate? See, that's where some people I think have kind of said, well, we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to, which, you know, we don't want to blast people, which that's true. Uh, but where's that line? And, and is it really compassionate to say, well, you know, if, let them think that there's many ways that lead up the mountain to, or up to salvation. Um, I'm basically a good person. And who am I to tell people, you know, that they're not a good person or this or that. And, and it's all about these misnomers. Um, Speaking of good people, um, remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, we were there a few weeks ago in verse 18 and the rich young ruler came and said, good master. And and Jesus said, why do you call me good? Um, He said, there is none good but one, Jesus said, and that's God. And uh, I believe Jesus was giving him a chance to sort of acknowledge that Jesus was in fact good because he was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but it, it reminds us that Jesus even says it, not only Paul in Romans, uh, you know, no, no one is righteous, not even one, there's none that seeketh after God, no, nobody's really doing those things. But, you know, at the same time, um, you, know, uh, you know, we remember that Jesus made it clear along with Paul that there's no one good except for Christ. Um, Romans 6.23, you know, talks about when we've sinned, the wages of sin is death. Um, and, and the idea is eternal death. And, and you think, well, man, I'm glad I'm, I'm not a murderer or an adulterer. Or, well, no, um, there's big sins in our little economies, but there's also small sins in our economy. And to God, sin is sin. So the wages of sin, harmatia is the Greek word, not to be fancy or anything, but the word harmatia, is, it, it, it's actually an interesting word um, when we translate it uh, in the Old Testament, the word for sin, that's the word in the Old Testament is, uh, is the, the Greek word, or me, the Hebrew word kata. So, so the reason I wanna point this out is the harmatia is the word for sin in New Testament Greek. The word kata is there in the Old Testament, but it means something that is, is different than, we, we think of sin as the big, horrible things people do. Uh, You know, like, uh, you know, if, are you a sinner? And if you call someone a sinner, what does that mean? Well, you're an adulterer, you're Adolf Hitler, or, you know, you're a child molester or murderer or Stalin or Mao or somebody really, really bad. Uh, But that's not actually the case. It means to miss the mark, just to be slightly off the bullseye, to be in error, to miss the goal or the path that God has laid out. That's the word harmatia in the Greek, but uh, even more clearly, missing the bullseye is the word kata. If you were shooting an arrow and you missed you, know, you just sinned. That's what you, that's what you would say. If you were a warrior fighting in battle, you shot an arrow and, and you missed the target. Even by a half of an inch, you just kata <laughs> You've missed the mark. And so, instead of thinking of sin as, oh man, you know, that's the horrible things. It's, it's when I, I find myself as a person Sinning, and you got to probably, you guys should probably fire me. I'll tell you why as a pastor. I don't sin every day, I sin every moment of every day. Um, I'm telling you, uh, it's just part of who we are as people. Um, Have you ever noticed sin even in your prayers? You could be doing something as holy as being on your knees before God in prayer, and you can find yourself suddenly entering into a whole sinful line of prayer um, that's self centered or maybe vengeful or ugly. Like it's an amazing thing how we can find ourselves even in sin, you know, harmatia, just missing the mark a little bit. And, and guess what, the wage of that sin we need to remember is death. I think the person that understands this, um, that what sin really is, they're not offended when somebody calls them a sinner. You could walk up to me and tell me, Brett, you are a sinner. And I would just go, oh, you don't even know. You have no idea. Now you can walk up to the average worldling and say you're a sinner. Ha! Who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? And they get all upset. And I, and I understand that it's because they don't understand what you know the biblical sense of the word sin, sin is. And you know a lot of people think only bad people go to hell—child molesters, murderers, Adolf Hitler, stuff like that. But this is where we have to remember what the Bible says. You know, I love um, that last song those guys sang, and as you know Zach saying that, I was just thinking, you know, oh, the love of God and his goodness. Um, you know, Titus chapter three, verses four and five. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I love that. Notice this first part. Um, you know, it's not by the works of righteousness we have done. You and I can't try to be righteous enough. Um, We'll never measure up. We can try, but we'll fail. I know people that try to do this and somehow they think they're going to be saved um, by, by doing good works or doing good things. And that's a narrative people hear. But the Bible is clear. My righteousness, well, the Bible even calls them the best righteous works of righteousness I have. How good are they? What are they worth? Filthy rags. That's all they are. But I love the second part. So that's the bad news. The bad news, not by your works of righteousness, which we have done, but the good news, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. It's not by your works of righteousness that you or I can get to heaven, um, but it's because Jesus is the righteous one. He's the good one. Um, So if you'd kindly allow me uh, this afternoon to kind of address those two people groups. If you're a Christian, how, how do we address the issue of, That Jesus, asking the question, if people are saying, you know, is Jesus the only way? Um, Or if you're not a Christian, if you're not, you know, one who claims to be saved by Jesus, or um, you think there might be many ways, I'd love to challenge that thinking. Uh, but I wanna do it kindly if I can, uh, because I think it's the Lord's goodness that people will leads lead to repentance. So, um, you know, the thing is we start, like for example, First Peter 3.15, if, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means, the word sanctify means set it apart. So don't just think of God like everybody else in the world or put human characteristics on godliness. Sanctify God, set him apart in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The reason I show you this verse is because if you're a Christian, I think you need to be ready with an answer of why do we believe that Jesus is the only way? Um, But I think we have to be careful how we answer. It's not just say, be ready with an answer. Far too many Christians are ready with an answer, but they don't have the answer with the last part of what what, uh, Peter was reminded, with meekness and with fear. Uh, too many Christians, sadly, they drop the ball badly when it comes to the meekness part of this discussion. <laughs> you know, turn or burn. Fly or fry. Uh, you know, Jesus is the only way. Uh, and, and we get kind of brutal about it, uh, but I think we should be careful about it. Don't forget, you know, Jesus uh, told, told us something that we should never forget. Um, John thirteen thirty five. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have really awesome doctrine, no. If you can give a bunch of, Amazing points about why you have your faith and stuff like that? Nope. Um, He's gonna, men are gonna know you're Jesus's disciples if you have love one for another. Don't forget, that's the key of this whole discussion, making sure that we present the discussion um, uh, in in the heart and the attitude of love. So in questioning, um, you know, if Jesus is the only way, uh, a lot of people question that. And I understand why they question that. Uh, Maybe you guys remember, I once uh, learned uh, and heard uh, uh, one of the politicians at a town meeting, town hall meeting, while answering the question about his Christian faith. He said um, that he, quote, believes that Jesus died for his sins and through God's grace and mercy, he could have everlasting life. And I was thinking, oh great, that's good. But he also continued to express that he believed Jews and Muslims, non-believers who live moral lives are as much children of God as he is and also that they are headed for heaven just as much as he is. Um, and then he went to an example, and this is where it gets heartbreaking kind of to me. Um, his example, he spoke about his mother who was not a believer. She, that's, the word, that's the words he used, not a believer. And he said, she is the kindest, most decent, generous person I've ever known, and I'm sure she's in heaven, even though she may not have subscribed to everything I subscribe to. And I understand this thinking Because um, in human terms, I have no question that she was an amazingly nice person in human terms. Compared to most humanity, um, people can measure on the good scale in human terms so much better than others. But the thing that's so dangerous about that thinking is just because you really want to believe someone is going to heaven because they're a good person doesn't necessarily make that true. Um, that's That's the thing that's a little bit heartbreaking and a little bit sobering. Um, is it your goodness that gets you to heaven? Well, we already established. It's not by the works of your righteousness. The only way to heaven is by the works of his righteousness. Um, What's God's heart on this? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9. Um, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise about his coming and and the end of the world and all that, but as some men count slackness. But what is the Lord? He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, it's, it's, it's understandable why people would think, well, my grandma or my mother was so good. There's no way because God is so loving and kind. How would he ever send someone to eternal destruction that's good and kind and loving? Well, actually, that, they are getting the heart of the Lord there. They're just not necessarily getting the truth about what the Lord says about these things. The heart of the Lord is that, oh, the Lord says, oh, I'm, I'm gonna be patient with humanity. <laughs> Don't you love that about our Lord, that he's patient with humanity? Um, he says, I'm long suffering toward humanity, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Um, notice he doesn't say that, that um, you know, I'm, I'm so long suffering that I'm not willing that any person should perish. So I'm just going to automatically get everybody into heaven. Um, some people teach that, that, that um, you know, that it's all going to, everybody's going to end up kind of in the right place in heaven and stuff. Um, but that's not what the, the word says. It says, not willing that any should perish. But the Lord's heart is that everybody would come to this place called repentance. And that means to change your mind about Jesus and who he is and what he claimed. You see, this is where, I'm gonna get to our text here in a second. You might say, bro, what does this have to do with what we just read there in Mark. Well, it's gonna come here, and I wanna show you, and it's something you wouldn't naturally ascribe to this passage, but I wanna show it to you as kind of a sideline, and then we'll hit it, like I said, on Wednesday. But um, let me, let me kind of put it this way. I'd like to talk about truths that people generally object to when it comes to Christian faith, and what the Bible says, and the, you know the, the nature of the truth around Christianity, and the objections, um, like, like this first one, you can jot these down if you want, maybe to remember, kind of to think through this and maybe pray about this. Um, the first one is uh, people will object to this truth. Number one, Christianity is narrow. You'll find all kinds of people object. Many people uh, feel and claim that Christianity is way too narrow-minded, uh, narrow, uh, it's too restrictive. Um, but you gotta remember, Jesus is the one who put this sort of restriction on Christianity. Um, you know, there in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, you know, enter into the straight gate um, for wide is the gate, the, the big, big, huge gate, you know, the front door uh, is the broad way and it leads to destruction, Jesus said. Um, and many uh, there be which go in thereat, it says there, but verse 14 of uh, Matthew 7, but because the straight, the narrow gate is the way which leads to life, there be few that find it. Oh man, That's heartbreaking to think there's gonna be few. The natural flow of things. And see, this is what the world likes to say. Man, I think we're all just gonna kind of flow naturally kind of in that direction of eternal life. But Jesus makes this claim about the, the wide gate and the narrow gate that should at least cause us to um, you know, set up. Now I've heard people say, Brett, that's not what that scripture's about. It's more about our attitude and stuff. It's not about heaven and hell. Well, you can argue that if you want. I, I think that's, that's misguided. Um, but I, I, I don't think I can think of any more clear terms than John 14:6 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Wouldn't you say that's pretty narrow? That's a narrow gate. It's, it's through Jesus, um, not through Muhammad, Confucius, not through all the different ways and paths and things people want to sort of claim are, are, are several ways and, and what have you. And and, and then people say, well, you see, you Christians are arrogant. And I understand that. I, I, I see how Christians have been arrogant. And we do sometimes represent the Lord wrongly. By the way, misrepresenting the Lord, is that, is that a problem? Do you think the Lord likes it when we misrepresent him? Have you ever been misrepresented by someone? Um, maybe you're a, a dad and, and your kids misrepresented you. Um, or maybe you're a, uh, an employer and your employees misrepresented you and your business and the culture around your business. Um, but remember when Moses yelled at the people and smacked the rock and said, you morons in the Latin. And he said, you know, you morons, you, you rebels, must we fetch water for you? And the Lord was, he said, Moses, you, you've misrepresented me. I wasn't mad at the people. Um, I wonder how many times we smack away and whack away. And, 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 but we might just be misrepresenting this idea. Um, and, and, and yet it's still an important truth, isn't it? This idea of narrow is the path. We can't let up on that truth in some ways, but at the same time, we also shouldn't be hammering people over the head. I think that's an important thing to think about. Um, the problem is our world tends to think of choosing your religion in the same way you choose your ice cream. How do you choose your ice cream? Well, if you go to Baskin Robbins, you have 31 options. Um, and, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, you can go taste test, and before you stack your cone or get your bowl of ice cream with several scoops, you, you know, I'm gonna try this one. Ooh, I don't like that, oh, I love that one. And then you, or, or if you're going to salt and Scrawl, you have 20 options, um, uh, which are not so good. Um, <laughs> no, there's, there, I, I like some of them. What's the Snickerdoodle one? That, that's the best one. Snickerdoodle is one of the go-tos. And the Blackberry, uh, yeah, there's a couple. Um, but narrow is the path, that's um, <laughs> <laughs> salt and straw. No, I'm just kidding, some of you salt and straw. But What about handles in Sherwood? Do you know they have over 100, uh, 100 flavors there at handles over in Sherwood? Good night. Choices. And I take my choosing of ice cream very seriously. Um, But people like to choose their religion like they choose their ice cream. A a sample bit of here and a sample bit of over there and mix and match flavors, a scoop of this and a scoop of that. And this will be my religion. I like to think of Christianity as they stack their little ice cream cone. And the problem is that's that's not what we're doing when we're choosing our religion. When you choose your religion, choosing ice cream, you know, give me all the options. But when you have an issue that's deadly, When you have a deadly condition, the poison of sin in our lives, and and it's deadly, not only will you die physically, sin brought that about too, but my sin brought about eternal death. So it's it's more than just being bit by a rattlesnake and dying of poison, it's being bitten by sin and you're dying eternal death in hell for all eternity. Wouldn't you say the decision of religion is a little more important than your ice cream? I would liken a little bit more to a decision of what you do if you're bit by a rattlesnake. Um, there's a, there's, you know I have some friends that, in Southern Oregon, they were kind of some backwoods guys, really good, good guys, but they lived way out in the mountains and they used to harvest rattlesnakes. And, and they showed me how they milk rattlesnakes. Uh, and I was like, how do you milk a rattlesnake? I pictured as a guy that milked cows in my childhood, uh, did you sit by a rattlesnake and like milk like what? <laughs> I, I don't remember seeing udders on a, on a rattlesnake. You know, how do you do that with a rattlesnake? Well, actually, they milk rattlesnakes by this little contraption. They put the rattlesnake's head on this thing and the fangs go down and squirt, 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 squirt. The, the venom just comes squirting out. And I remember watching that, you know. Now, the reason these guys did that, they got a bunch of money from the hospitals to give them the, the venom for an antivenom. Uh, it was kind of the way they would make the, the, the antivenom or the antidote to those that got snake bite. In Southern Oregon, people get bit by rattlesnakes more because they're all over the place down there. So, what if you chose your, your, if you're bit by the rattler in Southern Oregon and you're, you're deciding what to do, what if you handled that the same way that you handled your ice cream choice? Uh, you're bit by the, you know, I think I'm just gonna pop a few vitamin Cs. I think I'll feel a lot better. You're like, no, dude, rat, rat, that might be good for your cold or something else, vitamin C, but vitamin C is not gonna help you with the rattlesnake bite. Um, well, I kind of like to think, uh, you know, if I just put on some essential oils. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll just rub some essential oils. That kind of burns. That hurts worse than the rattlesnake bite. Oh, Uh, anyway, uh, maybe that, I don't know. Um, It's, you know, there's only one remedy that comes from the, the poison of sin in our lives. And, 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 and so, is it, is it lacking in compassion to, to try to tell the person, hey, there's only one solution, there's only one way to be helped from this? And that being bit by sin, it's deadly. Um, the mindset today, all paths lead to heaven, that's like choosing your ice cream. Um, and people are so offended. You know what's interesting? And, 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 if you're not a believer and you're watching online here, or if you're here just kind of for, for the first time, and you're kind of wondering about this, there's a reason I think Christians, we get a little offended, and maybe we should do better at this, not being offended, but we get offended when people say, there's many paths that lead to heaven. And uh, you might wonder, why are you guys so irritable about that? Well, there actually is a reason. Let me explain that just a little bit. It goes back to our text. This is where we get to our text here in Mark chapter 14. You know, we're just after the Last Supper, Jesus just gave the supper to the disciples, institution of communion, the Eucharist table. Um, and now Jesus is in Gethsemane where he asked Peter, James, and John to watch and pray. This is what where we come to here in our text. And, um, and Jesus is in this intense, sorrowful mode. Our first verse that we read, my soul, Jesus said, is exceeding sorrowful unto death. And he's got his closest disciples. Would you just watch and pray with me here? This is like a really heavy time for me, Jesus says. Um, and then Jesus says a few things that people may not understand. He says, You know, if, he says, All things are possible to you as he's praying to the Father in heaven. And he says, Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will. Wow, there's a lesson right there about submitted prayer. Um, Jesus is the model of that. But again, that's not the point that we're going to focus on today, but what's this cup that he's asking to have passed from him? And there's, there's a, a couple of notions, not just the cup, but what about the hour? That's another thing Jesus constantly said. People, you know, tried to take him, but, you know, and they wanted to do him in, in earlier stories of the Bible, but Jesus, you know, would say, my hour is not yet come. Even had to say that to his mother, Mary, my hour is not yet come. There was an hour coming. Now, this is is not like literally an hour that we're talking about. We're talking about a moment in time that was specifically set aside where Jesus was going to do the most amazing thing in all of world's history. That is to die for the sins of the world. The cup that's being talked about, the hour that he's talking about. See, we saw the hour when he said, um, you know, if if we kept reading, you know, this let this cup pass from me. And, um, and, you know, what's interesting about this is um, it, it, the guys just kept, uh, you know, not understanding how important it was. They just fell asleep. He says there in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou will. Verse 37, and he cometh and findeth them sleeping and said unto, the, unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. Which words did Jesus speak again? He, he prayed, oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, you know? And, and then in verse 40, and when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither was they um, uh, what to answer. Uh, And he came, and the third time, now this is where he talks about the hour. He came the third time and said unto them, sleep on now, take your rest, it is enough. The hour has come, behold, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let's go, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Um, the heaviness of this moment, I think you, you can recognize Jesus is, is going through this suffering, agony in the, of sorrow in the, in the garden. But what is he praying? Oh, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he talks about the cup passing twice. And then he says, "This my hour is now come. What hour? The hour of his death on the cross. So what's the cup? Well, if you know the, uh, the typology of the Bible, the cup speaks of the suffering that he was about to endure. Drinking sort of a cup of suffering, if you would. He was gonna drink the cup of suffering as a willing, you know, who drinks a cup of poison? Um, who willingly does that? Jesus did. I told you, sin is the poison that kills us. Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible says, he literally drank the cup of poison. Even though he had never sinned at all, he took the sins of the world upon himself. And then by doing that, he then was the one will go to the cross, suffering, nails in the hands and feet, crown of thorns on his head, um, our sins piled onto Jesus. Every sin you've ever done, every sin I've ever done, piled onto Jesus. Jesus saying, I'm willingly taking that rescue for you. And he suffered brutally, bled and died on the cross, and then rose again from the grave. And, uh, you know, you say, well, what's the deal with that, Brett? Why would you focus on this point as it relates to is Jesus the only way? Well, did you notice what Jesus prayed here? Jesus was asking if there's any other way to deal with this problem than this cup. He's saying, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's any other way to save humanity, this was Jesus's prayer. Question, Jesus was praying this very intently. Um, How did the Lord, the Father in heaven, answer Jesus's prayer? In the negative. He's like, nope. That's why Jesus so perfectly prayed, not my will, but your will. Boy, what a picture of the submitted prayer as Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, if it at all be possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, Luke, you know, you can jot this down. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 kind of says this, it's the Luke's account of the same thing where um, Jesus said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Same story, just the way Luke heard it. Interesting. Um, Jesus learned the answer, if you would, if you could say that, that it was not possible. It was not possible that there's any other way to be saved other than Jesus's death on the cross. Um, in fact, um, what's so amazing about that, Jesus, knowing the answer, still willingly went to the cross. Hebrews 12, two reminds us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now with this in mind, if, if you're the atheist or the non-believer, I want you to see how perhaps this is why um, Christians are a little offended when you say, oh, there's many paths that go to heaven. When you realize what Jesus went through and God sort of declaring in his word, there really was no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth the life. No man comes to the Father which is in heaven, but by me. So that, to say and suggest that Jesus is just one way to heaven. Um, The reason why Christians are offended by that is because Jesus died on the cross because there was no other way. If there was another way, what does that say about God? Um, God sends his one and only son who he loves. He says over and over, this is my begotten son and who I'm well pleased. Um, and, And he sends his only begotten son to the brutal death of the cross. If you could instead go climb a mountain and sit in the lotus position and contemplate your navel and find your third eye of understanding? And if that was a way to eternal life, doesn't that make God a fool? To send his only begotten son if there was other ways or um, for you to um, you know, follow some other religious system? Christianity is narrow because it has to be narrow. There is really only one antidote. It's not Baskin-Robbins. Thirty-one options. It's the antidote to sin, and so don't misunderstand Christians who are trying to, you know, strongly persuade. Maybe sometimes we do it wrongly, but strongly urge people. Um, you know, if you had a friend who was like got bit by a rattlesnake and you had the antidote, but you also had some iced tea, and they're like, "No, I don't want the antidote. Give me some of that iced tea." You'd be like, "No, take the antidote," and you might even get a little rude eventually. Whack, whack, take the afternoon. Wanting to save your life. See, that's, that's our perspective. We wanna save, we wanna see people saved from their sins. And again, we have to be careful about this. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. See, that's why we as Christians are so kind of shocked when people, are, oh, you know, listen to the news people. Oh, all religions are basically the same thing. All religions lead to the same path. You know, there's, there's many ways to heaven. Um, you know, what's funny about this is uh, Christianity gets the blame of being the narrow a narrow-minded religion, but really most religions are that. It's kind of funny how, like for example, Islam doesn't get the reputation of being narrow, but it's extremely narrow. Um, you know, Islam, it always cracks me up. Allah, Jehovah, the God of the Jews, God of Islam, it's all the same, and people say that all the time, but they couldn't be more different. Uh, as one who studies the Bible, and I've read the Quran several times, and I just have to say, Allah and Jehovah have nothing even remotely similar about them, and yet, you know, people that are not experts try to say they're experts. Did you know Islam doesn't even believe Jesus died on the cross? They do support a Jesus who was a prophet of Muhammad or of Allah, uh, I should say. Um, if you read in the Quran, Surat Anisa, uh, chapter four, verses 156 through 158, it says this. And for their unbelief, the Jews are cursed. For their having spoken against Mary, a grievous calumny." And for their saying, verily, we have slain the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, an apostle of Allah, yet they slew him not, but they had only his likeness. And those who differed about him were in doubt concerning him. No sure knowledge had they about him, but they followed only an opinion. And they really did not slay him, Jesus, but Allah took him up to himself, and Allah is mighty and wise. So the Muslim believes Jesus was a prophet of Allah, and they did kill somebody on a cross, but it was somebody who looked like Jesus, but wasn't really Jesus. Um, and then Jesus ascended by the will of Allah into heaven. That's kind of the way uh, Islam teaches it. Um, but Islam does in fact say they are the only true religion. And depending on which sect or which, uh, how radical, you know, it, it, we, we kind of have to talk about a fundamental Christian versus like a fundamental Muslim, a fundamentalist. And you know, if you know the fundamentalist Islam, it's, it's like, um, you know, you gotta believe or die kind of thing. Um, Judaism, uh, keep the whole law, uh, and that's how you get to heaven. Hinduism is to get to a place in life where you understand that you actually don't exist. Moksha. Um, And there's people who have worked their whole life trying to reach that state where basically you end the cycle of life and death and the grave and life and death and the grave and reincarnation, but you finally enter into that state of kind of nothingness. Um, But what's interesting, by so many people in our world, in our culture, we love to state that all religions are really the same. Um, It's a self-incriminating sentence showing that you probably don't know really much about those religions. And I say that um, you, know, uh, you know, you, you got to understand, um, don't just listen to the college professor and the, you know, pipe puffing cardigan sweater wearing person because they don't really often know what they're talking about. Um, the comparative religion studies, it's a, it's a little shocking sometimes what's out there. Um, but one of those sort of incriminating sort of ideas is where they just, it's just logically the math doesn't add up. And, and the idea of logic is sort of scarce these days, so it's hard to appeal to logic anymore. Have you guys noticed that? Um, but um, I read about a philosopher who eventually became a Christian through just kind of elementary logic. And this is, this is what he wrote about kind of how he came to the idea of Christianity being true. He said, I'll just read his notion. He said, the idea that all religions are valid is logically impossible. If all are valid ways to God, then Christianity is necessarily valid. And Jesus is simply one of the many ways to God. But we find that Jesus said he was the only way and that no one can come to God except through him. In so teaching, Jesus himself eliminated all other ways. Thus, if Christ is one of the ways to God, he has to be the only way. If not, then this Jesus who is one of the ways is dead wrong when he claims to be the only way in which case it would be foolish to think that he's even one of the ways. Christians did not come up with that idea that Jesus is the only way to God. That idea originated with Jesus himself. If he was wrong, then Christianity has no validity at all. If he was right, then there is no other way to be saved. And this guy through that kind of thinking had to decide, do I believe what Jesus said or do I not? And that's where it gets down to the idea that Christianity is narrow and it's your choice. You have to choose whether you're gonna go through that narrow gate or go with the flow of the broad way that leads to destruction. Number one, Christianity is narrow. That's the first truth that the world objects to. But largely the world objects to this one too. That, and, and it kind of leans on what I just talked about. There's no room for relativism especially when we talk about the idea of moral relativism. Um, You know, the objection is truth changes from person to person. You know, there are no absolutes. Your truth is not my truth, my truth is not your truth. And this idea of relativism, which is rampant today. People do think this way. Um, But relativism is basically the belief that right and wrong are arbitrary and transitory. In other words, it can kind of change and move, determined by the individual or the culture that you're raised in. There are no absolutes. Um, and just because you believe it to be true doesn't mean that relativism is actually true um, or what you believe is true. Um, by the way, the, you know, I remember when I was in high school, you know, one of my teachers said, there are no absolutes. And I always, I wasn't trying to be smart, Alec, but I said, are you absolutely sure? <laughs> like, again, if you're, an ele- if you're into elementary logic, to make an absolute statement, like there are no absolutes, that's an absolution right there. And it's a contradiction. Uh, that, that does not work out. Um, But when you get into this, you know, it's funny, just because you believe the earth is flat. Did you know that there's a lot of people that are starting to believe their world is flat again? The flat earthers it's real. They're saying millions of people are believing the earth is flat. Um, You know, I think that's shocking because I've been uh, on flights on a nice day where you can see the curvature of the earth and it's pretty clear. Uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, um, uh, but uh, it's amazing how many millions of people, uh, but spoiler alert, it's not flat, it's it's a circle. The Bible even says that. Um, truth does not change. If it's true, it's locked in. There are absolutes um, as it turns out. Um, and so this idea of relativism, um, one of the things the world, the person who objects to Christianity says, well, I, I don't want, why does your truth have to be my truth? And but. Let's get away from my truth and your truth. Let's just talk about what is truth. That's the key. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And why would he say that and then say, no man comes to the Father which is in heaven but by me? Because that's the truth, according to Jesus, at least. So truth number one that's objectionable to a lot of people, Christianity is narrow. Truth number two, uh, no room for relativism when Jesus makes that absolute statement that he is the way, the truth and the life. Truth number three, and this is important, truth uh, number three, Jesus proved himself to be the only way. Uh, how, how can you make that claim, Brett? That Jesus is the one who, you know, proved his claim. Um, Brett, you're just sheltered. You haven't discovered all the other religions in the world and, you know, um, and, uh, you know, they, you know the, I went to college and they just said Christianity is an invention of modern man and um, stuff like that. Um, and there's older things, truths than the Bible. Uh, it's amazing how they'll use this stuff. You know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, maybe you read that when you're in college and you saw there was a creation flood and sort of an Adam and Eve character. And, and sure enough, Gilgamesh does predate the Bible. It's funny, uh, the, the, those that are critics of the Bible, Say see, the Bible just borrowed from Gilgamesh, the story and all this stuff. Um, I understand why they would make that claim, but you know, you can equally conjecture with the same sort of logic, that what if there really was a worldwide flood and there was an Adam and Eve? Um, could there be one story that was a little more accurate and correct than the other? Um, if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's it's unreal and it's unbelievable and it's wacko. Well, Brett, are you suggesting the book of Genesis is real and believable? Yes, especially if you hold it up to the Epic of Gilgamesh. The, the Gilgamesh Epic is horrific and grotesque and vile, and actually kind of wacko. The, the, the Genesis story is this story of this loving God um, and a sinful humanity uh, that's in big trouble. And man, I can relate to that one. I see that today. Um, but all that to say, I'm not gonna say if that's proof positive that, you know, that the Bible is correct. I'm just saying, why wouldn't you just say oral tradition passed down a story of an Adam and Eve and a flood that was worldwide and some people got it wrong and some people got it right. Um, I think that's perhaps what happened. So it's funny how there's like these people that claim there's airtight, you know, reasons why we can't trust the Bible and what have you. But, um, you know, the thing that makes Christianity stand out among all other perhaps religions is the, and, and, and this is us as Christians wanting you to take the antidote. Remember, the, you've been bitten by sin, and the only antidote is Jesus Christ. But how do you know Jesus is the antidote? Well, Jesus said this. Um, you know, you want a sign that I am who I claim to be? Um, Jesus, you know, said, I am the way, the truth, that that narrow-minded thing. And by the way, it's not just Jesus. In the book of Acts 4.12, we read, there's neither salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than that of Jesus. Um, But You know, remember in John 6, uh, 28, they came and said, Jesus, what are the works that we should do, the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on the one who the Father has sent. Um, You know, Titus uh, 3, we talked about that earlier, verses four and five, about, you know, not by our works, but by his works of righteousness. That's how we're saying How do we know that Jesus was right? Well, John chapter two, verse 18 through 21 is where I think they pinned it down. And then answered the Jews and said unto them, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus would die on the cross, his body, uh, and then buried in a tomb three days later, rose from the grave. And and, uh, we've done whole sermons and talks about how reliable is this historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe it's one of the most provable things in all of history. It's the most talked about, written about, believed on event in history that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. So it's not that we just believe blindly that Jesus is the antidote. As Christians, we feel like we've got not only historical evidence and Uh, eyewitness accounts of a resurrected Jesus. We've also seen a lot of people that were headed for destruction whose lives were changed radically. So there's all kinds of evidence that Jesus really is the way, the truth, the life. So truth number one that's objectionable to a lot of people is that Christianity is narrow. It is narrow. Uh, Truth number two, no room for relativism. Nope, there is an absolution that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth number three, Jesus proved Christianity to be the only way when he rose from the grave. And finally, truth number four, um, sincerity doesn't lead to salvation. Um, this is where it gets kind of tough because this is where it's hard for me even sometimes who knows the Bible and I understand the logic of salvation and that Jesus is the way, the truth of life. But man, I've met a lot of sincere people who were sincerely wrong. And it makes your heart hurt because you wonder now, now here's the thing, I, I believe the Bible teaches us something that's, that's hard for us to get our brains around. But if somebody's truly seeking after the Lord, I believe they're gonna find the Lord. If you seek me, you will find me. This is a promise of God's word. Um, so I, I do take comfort in that. And I've learned I'm not the best judge of sincerity. Um, and the thing is, God is. God is the best judge of sincerity. And I I wanna say this because, um, you know, people love to nail down these things into airtight, perfect boxes. I'm gonna say even what I'm talking about, as mathematically logical as it is, it's still not perfectly airtight for me. I'm just gonna say for me, because when somebody comes up and says, well, Brett, what about the pygmies? What what about the people in in Papua New Guinea who live out in the jungle who've never heard of Jesus's name? I've been there. I talked to these people in the South Pacific. Um, bones in their noses and holding spears naked. Like I, I've, I've literally met these people and talked with them myself. Um, and, and, and what about them? Uh, and I always like to say this caveat, if you have that heart for them and you really care that much about them, maybe the Lord's called you to be a missionary in the South Pacific and go and share the gospel of Jesus with them. Um, we have people in our church that are doing that very thing, sharing the, the good news of Jesus. But what about that person? Let's say, you know, um, a person dies as a, you know, Papua New Guinean there and um, they never uh, said the prayer of confession of Jesus Christ. Um, Well, will God send them to hell? They never had an opportunity. Well, here's where um, the Bible does say some things that are kind of, you know, interesting. Romans talks about how there in, you know, uh, Romans 1 and 2 deals with the question about how even creation takes away your excuse. When you look at creation, well, yeah, but Brett, a guy in Papua New Guinea that never heard the name of Jesus, all I know is this. Um, If if a person in Papua New Guinea, their sins need to be washed away by Jesus Christ. Whether a person has said that with his lips, literally in Papua New Guinea, I'm just gonna leave that up to the Lord. And there's some good news about the Lord on those kind of questions. Uh, For example, his mercy endures forever. And also, I know this about our Lord is when, when, when it's all said and done, nobody's gonna say, hey, that wasn't fair. Um, we're all gonna say what? Somebody just said it. We're all gonna say, secularist, atheist, and Christian alike, righteous and true are his judgments. So I, I do have trust in the Lord and, and, and know that even a person who maybe never heard the gospel, I'm gonna leave that up to the Lord uh, and, and I, you know, whether that person's going to heaven or not, I, I just can't say. It's not in my wheelhouse. I just know what the Bible teaches me about things. And and you know, it's interesting, the Bible does talk about to whom much is given, much is required. And so here we are with our Bibles, and we, everybody's got a Bible here in America. And you know, it's like so easy, you can get on your phone, and we've been given so much. So uh, I wouldn't worry about the Papua New Guinean as much maybe, because to whom much is given, much is required. So those of us that have heard the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus did for us, and we know about the cross and our sin and the eternal life in heaven, then I think we should be more concerned about that. Um, in the same way that you and I um, have to be watching out for this good intentions or sincerity, the story is told of a train ride. In the 1800s, a man boards the train and sits next to a, a woman with her two small children and the conductor comes through, tickets please, you know, click, 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 ticking, you know, t- Getting the tickets, and um, the woman told the conductor, "Woman, you know," she said, um, "You know, I need to get off at Canyon Creek Junction." Um, and the conductor says, "I'll let you know when that stop is." Well, the man, um, the man knew exactly. He'd been on that train ride a million times. The, the man sitting across from the woman and her two children, and he'd taken that ride. He knew it as much as anybody. And he said, "Hey, the conductor's busy. If he doesn't let you know, I'll, I'll let you know. Don't worry, we got this." You know, and she's like, "Okay, great." Um, he says it's three stops from here, and so sure enough, the, the, the train went on three stops. Um, and um, but the, the, there was quite a blizzard outside. The, it was a blizzardous, snowy day. And sure enough, three stops later, the, the the train is at a stop. The, uh, he says, this, "Lady, this is your stop." And I'm pretty sure the conductor just got busy with some other stuff, so you need to get off here. And so she quickly gathered her things, got her kids, and got off the train. And then the train took off. Um, well, the next stop, the fourth stop the conductor came in and said, where's the lady? This is her stop. And the guy said, oh, well, no, she, she, she had to get off you know, Canyon Creek Junction, you know? And, and um, I just told her that was our third stop. And the conductor says, what? We had to stop at a water tower in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that's the, where we were there. Now we're at Canyon Creek. So the t- train quickly had to go in reverse, try to get back to Canyon Creek Junction pass. And they found the family frozen in the snow. Now, that, I don't know if that story is true or not. (laughs) Like, thanks a lot, Pastor Brett. (laughs) Um, But in that analogy, wouldn't you say the man had good intentions? The man had good intentions. He was sincere. He'd been on that ride a million times and he, he wanted to help the lady and her kids and make sure she felt at peace and that she could get off the train and not worry about when she was. He, I think his intentions were good and he was sincere, but he was sincere that led to death. And we have to be careful about sincerity because sincerity looks beautiful to all of us, <clears throat> but there's, sincere, there's people that are sincere in their religion with all their heart. Um, and, and so when somebody says, you know, you're just biased as Christians, um, I, I think we have to, you know, some people call us as Christians hip, hip, hypocritical because we're so biased about what we believe. But I've learned that we're all biased, by the way. We all are biased about a lot. Did you know how biased you are? You're a biased person when you choose your doctor. Let's say you have to have surgery. Let's say you need gallbladder surgery. I, I've had that, so I, something I know about. And fortunately, I had a really good surgeon who knew what he was doing. He used one of those Da Vinci robots with the six arms. Um, my surgeon was like 50 feet away playing video games while I was with this robot. You know, it was really something. But he's the best. My doctor did a, a great job. Um, now, what if I walked into the hospital with my, you know, <clears throat> gall, gallbladder, you know, infected and I had to have it removed. I was in big trouble. I said, no, I don't want, I don't want, Dr. Meyer, I, I, I'd rather have Dr. Dre. Or what about Dr. Seuss or Dr. Phil? Dr. Fauci? <laughs> like, like, some of you say, Brett, stick with your Dr. Abishai Meyer, the guy who knows what he's doing and the, he's an expert in this stuff. No, no, I like Dr. Seuss. Didn't you read? green eggs and ham, like he's a brilliant guy. No, Brett. Uh, you see, we, we're all biased. We choose who we think is gonna be the best doctor for our surgery. It's not biased to, to take a specific antidote for poison. Um, you know, it's important to choose a, a doctor that knows what they're doing. A man walking into a doctor's office in the waiting room, the nurse came out and said, Dr. we will come and see you now. And the man said, which doctor? And she said, oh no, he's quite qualified. Which doctor? (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Anyway, choosing your religion shouldn't be um, something you're worried about bias or being narrow minded. It should be something to say we recognize we have a problem, and that's sin and death. And the answer oh, the beautiful, amazing answer it's so incredibly awesome that I can't even articulate enough. And we get so caught up in the the syntax and what we're talking about all here. And we kind of miss the beauty that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation through the one and only, the only way, the only truth, the only life that leads to salvation eternally is Jesus Christ. What a beautiful antidote it is I pray that everyone here, that all of us here and everybody watching online right now, that you guys would all say, okay, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. In Jesus' name, let's bow our heads. Um, Christians, would you just be in prayer right now? Because I'd like to invite anyone who would like to accept Christ right now. Maybe in this room or if you're online watching, I'd like to invite you to just accept. It is interesting, the Bible says that um, in Romans 10, verse nine, 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. People say, oh Brett, you could just say a prayer and be saved. Well, you know, what about works? Well, remember it's his works that saves you, not yours. Now, one of the things, if you become a Christian, good works follow them to believe. That's part of the natural byproduct of salvation. But there needs to come a point in your heart where you repent and say, "I, I know I'm a sinner and you accept Jesus as your savior. Um, people today like to say, oh, there's no, you don't have to do that to say a little prayer and stuff. No, I think that's Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's pretty clear. And I wanna give you that opportunity. I'd love to pray that prayer with you right now. And if that's you, you're saying, Brad, I, I've, for whatever reason, have been sort of hesitant. Maybe I've heard a bunch of yelling Christians who kind of turned me off to Jesus. I understand that. But, I, but I'd, I'd try to get your attention off of us wacko people and turn to the one who's actually the most amazing man that ever walked the earth, Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he gave his life on the cross for your sins. And for you to accept that, not even hard, he did all the work. Would you accept that by just a prayer of confession of faith? Uh, if that's you would, you, would you look up at me and just give me a, a wave or raise your hand so I can see it? And if you're saying, Brad, I wanna do that. And I just wanna acknowledge you before we pack it up for the afternoon. Uh, anybody at all? Let me just look around for a second. I don't wanna miss you, cool see you there. Awesome. And you over here. Good. Anybody else? Don't, don't let me miss you. Back over here. Cool. And if you're online watching, man, you can pray along with me uh, in the congregation right now. Let's, let's do this. Let's pray that prayer of confession of faith that comes really from Romans 10, verse nine and 10. Um, Let's pray this. And and the Bible says, you know, it doesn't come just through your lips. It's got to kind of come from your heart too. It says confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose again for your sins, that you would be saved. If you do that, let's do that, pray together. Dear Father in heaven, heaven, I accept your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave, and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Lord, as we go our way today, I pray you'd wrap your loving arms around these people who've just confessed faith in you, Lord. I pray that they'd know their sins are forgiven, Lord. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It's your grace, undeserved, unearned favor that you show us, Lord. We're so thankful. And as we go our way, Lord, just fill each person here with that joy that comes from knowing we get to go to heaven by your grace, knowing that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives and and that we can serve you and walk with you. Help us to do that better. Bless these, your people, in Jesus' name, amen.